Hey everyone, welcome back to Equity. This is Alex. I'm here with Danny. We are having a live chat about all things crypto with a little bit of dose of Coinbase in there. It should be a really fun time. We're going to kick off with a discussion about some recent, I don't know, Danny, regulatory pressure in the United States, perhaps. Then we'll dig into Coinbase's somewhat epic Q2, look ahead to Q3, and also talk just a tiny bit about Robinhood at the very end. Thank you for joining us. This should be a nice, relaxed, fun chat. It is Gosh, nearly five o'clock here on the East Coast. It is one bajillion degrees, Danny, and uh, I'm honestly having a pretty good week. Lots of good news. I'm feeling good. How are you? Uh, there's so much news going on and a lot of it going on in the crypto world. Yeah, actually, it's an astounding amount. And the fun thing is, it's all kind of interesting. I feel like for the longest time, crypto news was relatively blasé, but this week has been packed. But let's kick off with the biggest story that has been bouncing around the crypto world, especially over the weekend, which is the infrastructure bill here in the United States. Danny, essentially, Congress, the American kind of elected bodies, are trying to pass a lot of money to rebuild the nation, which we need. And somehow crypto got rubbed into this, I think because of a tax issue, Danny, is that right? Right. So um, there's a trillion dollar infrastructure bill that's been under debate in the Senate for the last couple of months. It started in the House there have been a couple of different versions of the infrastructure bill, but the most recent one, which had bipartisan support, came together in the last couple of weeks or so. Rob Portman of Ohio, a few others were sort of leading the charge here. And, and they basically came up with a, a nice plan, right? They had bridges, airports, in, internet infrastructure, the kinds of stuff that people love that actually still gets bipartisan support. I think we're down to sewers is what's left in the US. So that was on the expense side, which is spending a trillion dollars which left open the question of how you actually pay for it. And the Congressional Budget Office was giving scores and evaluating different parts. And basically, they came up short. They needed to find new ways to make money, to make the math work on the bill. And one of the avenues they approached was the crypto tax, or finding ways to extract more money out of the crypto world, something that VCs have been very good at over the last couple of years, and Congress is getting on the bandwagon. Yes, not only VCs should profit from the great crypto boom or early Bitcoin hodlers, the government wants a big stake in this. And so really what's going on is how can they properly tax crypto transactions, which are often asset sales by American law, to generate revenue over a long period of time to help pay for bridges, sewers, etc. And the first kind of setup of this was terrifying. People did not like it. The, the language was very, very vague and seemed to kind of implicate miners, developers, and even some crypto startups to have to file essentially tax forms and pay for non- reasonable transactions. You know, if you're a miner and you generate Bitcoin, how that's taxed really matters. And so, Denny, there were a number of amendments. I think it was three that really mattered. The first amendment came from Senators Wyden and Toomey. And if you don't know who they are, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Essentially, the first amendment was going to exempt miners, nodes, and so forth from the bill's new requirements. And, you know, our take is that the crypto world, very supportive of this. Then came the second amendment. This was Portman, uh, Portman and Warner, two other senators. And it was not as popular, in fact. Then there became a third amendment. And this was kind of a compromise that would not force the unreasonable tax reporting. It wasn't as good in the crypto mindset compared to amendment number one, but it became the de facto thing. And then, Danny, Senator Shelby happened. That's right, uh, which happens a lot <laughs> these days. Uh, but uh, Senator Richard Shelby, Republican of Alabama, basically put on a, a hold. So uh, senators have the right to just hold up legislation individually. And he put a hold on uh, Amendment Number Three in lieu of a fifty billion dollar commitment to defense spending within the infrastructure bill, which was sort of out of left field. I don't know where this was coming from. I think a lot of the political reporters up Capitol Hill were kind of running around trying to figure out what was happening. Basically, that hold completely 
botched the Amendment 3 process. It went away. And I believe we're ultimately left with the vague language that was in the bill originally, with none of the amendments sort of getting included into the final bill. Yeah. And now we're going over to the House. There's going to be a lot more that goes into this and how the IRS enforces it. There's going to be quite a lot still to come. But Danny, the thing that I care about the most here is just how uh, how powerful the crypto community seemed during this process. I mean, here was Congress with a number of senators debating different ways to properly deal with the kind of burgeoning crypto economy. It felt like a real coming of age moment. I mean, here was you know, the central halls of American power debating this previously fringe nerd issue. I think that's exactly right. I mean, obviously, some major firms, including Andreessen, have been staffing up on the lobbying side. They've hired SEC folks because I think everyone sees that this is coming. It's it's happened globally. We've seen massive crackdowns in China. Europe is getting more aggressive on crypto. You know, in the U.S., the motion and momentum there has already been clear. if, If you filed income taxes on the 1040 form this year, your first financial question was, did you trade cryptocurrencies? in this, you know, in the calendar year. And you did that was like, I think, field number seven after you filled out your address. What the big debate is, and I I think the hard part when you get into the math of this is crypto is a new financial world. You know, definitions are different. And and what the bill has tried to do, it's not so much that it's vague. It is, it's applying old or original definitions of brokers, traders, dealers to the crypto world in ways that have unintended consequences. So for instance, I believe the bill was applying the term broker, which is a legal term that's actually certain agencies will regulate in certain ways. It means certain things get taxed certain ways that applies much more broadly than I think a lot of folks in the crypto world think of as brokers. For instance, if you are in a proof of stake token, like the new Ethereum plan, you would technically be considered a broker because you're actually buying, selling, trading, making money on that account. No one would think of themselves as an actual broker between people. But the law would apply in that way, which would mean you'd have to be licensed, you'd have to pass certifications, you'd have to file with certain agencies. Those filings are not cheap. And so I think across the board, people are really frustrated because the older, you know, regulatory regime doesn't fit. You know, it's not a great, you know, hand in glove. And and I think a lot of folks want to avoid a situation where crypto is basically blocked out because Congress passes a law that doesn't really fit well. I mean, the old world does not one-to-one translate over to the crypto world, and you can't just try to like find X to X and Y to Y because they don't line up. And to give everyone an example about how crazy this got, the Second Amendment, the, the Portman-Warner Amendment, was going to exempt proof of work but not proof of stake blockchains from this particular tax. And so what that meant was that you know Bitcoin was going to be fine because it's proof of work. But the new Ethereum is going to get locked out. So we're down to the nitty gritty nuance of the crypto world. And you have to be pretty plugged into this stuff. And uh, the American Congress, especially in the Senate, if you don't know, is roughly on average 2000 years old, give or take. And so uh, (laughs) they still think that the telegraph machine is relatively new technology and what the hip kids are using these days. And so they're just backwards. And so there's there's a translation issue between this, you know, uh, relatively large economy now, Danny, in the crypto world and the people who get to actually vote on these things. And I'm excited to see uh, more intelligent lobbying going on and and seemingly the ability to create momentum and pressure to drive towards a better regulatory regime to allow this part of the American economy, at least, to not fail by accident. And and look, you know, obviously the legislative process is not great. They're trying to raise 28 billion through this process. The reality is crypto is such a small part of it. They tacked it on at the end. And yep. like many things in Congress, it's like, okay, we need 28 billion. We need that in the next 24 hours to get this bill passed by, <laughs> you know, Tuesday morning. What do we do? Crypto. Okay, let's apply rules super fast. Let's just do it. And and unfortunately, I, you know, this, this is where engagement is really important. I, I think ultimately, if you want crypto to succeed, you do want it regulated. It's similar to the approach we're seeing in, in cannabis going on. We're actually going to talk about cannabis on the show tomorrow, but we want to be able to 
get it to be regulated, get it to be taxed, because you want a good law passed. It's not great when it's sort of on the, the meat grinder floor of the infrastructure bills, 2,000 pages long. It's not a great time to lobby. Now, what's interesting going forward, this bill has not passed, right? It has passed the Senate, but it goes to the House. And th that is not an assume that it actually just passes. There's a lot of controversy in the House. The House has demanded that the Senate pass a $3.5 trillion budget using the reconciliation process, which allows them to pass it on a 50-50 vote. So we have to first see if that passes to see if the infrastructure bills pass. So it could be a week or two, it could be months. Obviously, lobbyists are going nuts uh, on the crypto world, and I expect more changes to happen. Interestingly, I'm not sure the House will actually do it better. I don't know what your opinion is, Alex, but like, where, where does it go next? I just don't have a lot of faith in the American Congress to not be <laughs> stupid. I mean, but then again, all yeah. legislative bodies have this issue, and this is why the old joke goes that democracy would be the worst form of government if it wasn't for all the other ones. Anywho, let's move on from the, the issue being lobbied to one of the lobbying groups, which is Coinbase, the American cryptocurrency, I don't know, trading exchange platform, Jenny, if you will. And they reported their second quarter earnings this week after their direct listing. I think it was back in April, if my memory serves. And the numbers were crazy. Crazy good, I should say. Uh, Coinbase had a rock in Q2. Just, just super impressive. So $2.27 in total revenue. Transaction revenue was $1.93 billion of that. They had you know $875 million in operating income. That's a lot. And their adjusted EBITDA was $1.1 billion, and they closed off with $4.4 billion in cash. So uh, superlative numbers across the board, Danny. Your first take on this? Coinbase does super well anytime that there is variance or, or variability in the markets, right? So as much chaos as there was over crypto in the last quarter, Coinbase wins, right? Because it makes money when you buy, it makes money when you sell, it makes money when you trade. It doesn't matter what the markets are doing. Obviously, uh, most of the major coins had struggles in the last couple of months. I think Ethereum hit a low around mid-July. I'm looking at the chart here, but about July 18th, it was at a low of about 1800. It is now back up to 32, 3150 right now. So it's almost you know, gone up 80, 90% from that low in just the last month. That's all positive for Coinbase. And I think it just recognizes in the numbers. Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot more fun stuff to unpack. So if you dug into the, the Coinbase report, you have noticed that Ethereum trading volume actually crept past Bitcoin's own. And, you know, Bitcoin being kind of the, the OG cryptocurrency has long held a, a leading position in market cap and trading volume. So to see that change of the guard, very interesting. And I think, Denny, that's really just NFTs and so forth, driving a lot of transactions on the Ethereum chain, which leads to a lot of activity, which is great for Ethereum itself. Makes Bitcoin look a little passe, in my view. And if you are a Bitcoin maximalist, I'm sorry that I just made you mad. Um, other stuff that matters, uh, retail and institutional trading volume was $462 billion in the quarter, up from $335 billion in Q1. Super impressive amount of transaction volume. And they wrapped up with 8.8 .8 million monthly transacting users, which is like the exchange version of MAUs, if you will, uh, which is up from $6.1 million in Q1. Danny, and then we get to the kind of the rub in all of this, which is that it looks like Q3 is going to be just a smaller quarter. And they have, you know, so far in Q3, lower MTUs, lower total transaction volume. And the issue for me is when companies go public, they tend to talk about how they had their first couple of quarters baked. They can see their growth. They're going to be able to hit these numbers. Coinbase is just like, eh, you know, it goes up and down. It's going to go up over time. <laughs> and it's the most like relaxed uh, approach to shareholder relations I've ever seen. I, I, I kind of love it. I, I think there's no way to predict, you know, the trading volumes, obviously, you know, the, the, the skews that go on to the trading volumes are going to drive Coinbase's returns. There's no way to predict this, right? I do think it's interesting to see how much is still US driven. I think it's something like 80, 90% US driven in terms of revenues. Institutional is still a really small part of it, but it's growing quite rapidly. 
And as you said, it's interesting to see the rebalance of about a quarter coming from Bitcoin, a quarter coming from Ethereum, and about half-ish coming from all other crypto assets altogether, none of which were more than 10%, according to the doc. So I, I think it's interesting to see that, you know, for Coinbase, which originally got started, I think, as, as Bitcoin, you know, and, and even just a year or two ago was 65% Bitcoin transactions. It's actually really making money across a lot of different crypto assets. Like, it, it's really expanded. People are trading a variety of stuff. They're actually making money from it because that's the revenue breakdown. So uh, to me, it's actually a much more durable company. And you're at the point where it's essentially built or as an ETF around uh, the crypto market. Like if the crypto world does well in general, with no individual currency being a huge chunk of that, they'll be fine. Congress passes a law and it's all banned tomorrow. Like Coinbase obviously is going to suffer a lot. I think it's pretty positive territory for them. And of course, they're not going to be able to predict. I, I, I feel like their earnings are just going to be wildly all over the place. And I think most of the folks investing in the company are along for the ride. Yeah. And so usually now we would we would shut up about this company and move on to our final topic. But I'm actually going to talk about the earnings call because I, I read the transcript today prepping for this. And it was actually really interesting, which is not usually what happens on earnings calls. Usually they're incredibly dull. On the earnings call, they talked about shareholder return. And that's kind of like investor slang for when are you going to give us some of the cash that you have, either through a dividend or through share buybacks. And Coinbase went, eh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to hoard it all because if there's a crypto winter, we want to have tons of cash. And to me, it's just so interesting to see this company essentially operate as it did as a private company, as a public company. Usually there's a translation that goes on there, but it kind of goes to show their attitude about the long-term vision for Coinbase proper. A few other things, Danny, that stood out to me, Brian Armstrong, the CEO and uh, fellow bald man, I think he might be like the third richest bald man in the world, like, you know, Bezos and then Armstrong, something like that. Anyways, they talked about a crypto app store as a way to use Coinbase as kind of your passport into the broader crypto world. So if you're not sure where to begin with NFTs or dApps or whatever, they might provide kind of a, a nexus or genesis point for that. I thought that was smart. They're also talking about there being a future with millions of crypto assets out there. So when we think about Coinbase adding 22 assets in, I think it was Q2, that's a fraction, a minute fraction of what is to come long down the road. And then finally, the coolest thing, Coinbase Cloud, which I had never heard mentioned of before. Essentially, it's going to be a way to take all the work they've done with like blockchain integration and so forth and kind of offer that up via APIs, a bit like becoming the, the plaid for crypto, if I can really abuse an analogy. But it made me kind of stoked to see what they do next. And I hate to sound so positive, but like, honestly, I was I was uh, I was tickled by the whole thing. I think they're borrowing the classic strategies from a lot of other companies become a platform also in the consumer brand. You can imagine that they power Robinhood. You can imagine they power a lot of other, you know, traditional banks who want to get into the crypto world, both institutionally and on the consumer side. Um, I actually think that's a brilliant strategy. The other thing that I thought was really interesting. So I, I'm looking at um, their their assets on platform numbers. So according to the results for the three months ending this quarter, um, assets on platform was 180 billion and trading volume was 462 billion. So if you do the the fun math there, 462 divided by 180, it's 2.6x. So every dollar on the platform, on average, got traded on the platform 2.6 billion in terms of transactions. I don't think there's any other investment window, you know, any other firm, asset manager, that has that kind of volume and, and velocity of money going on the platform. Uh, no. I mean, and that's why Coinbase has such bonkers revenue and incredibly strong margins. I mean, the business just prints money because people are busy trading cryptos. I mean, sure, many people are, are hodling, as the meme says, but lots of folks are trading and it adds up. Retail revenue, retail transaction revenue is the bulk of Coinbase's total revenues. You're, you know, you, if you want to know where it makes money, it's because folks like you and I, Danny, if we weren't beholden to usual journalistic rules about asset ownership, 
um, buying and selling is driving it up. And so, you know, Coinbase has shown that it makes a lot of money, which is why I think we're seeing companies like FTX in Hong Kong and um, uh, Falcon X and a bunch of other kind of like regional and, and country specific crypto exchanges raise money in the last couple of months because now the secret's kind of out, you know, like this, this thing scales huge. And remember when Google went public and uh, they almost didn't for a while because they didn't want to show everyone how lucrative search was. Now, I feel like Coinbase has kind of done that for the crypto exchange world because people do trade. There is enormous demand and they will pay fees. And so I, I'm expecting to see the kind of the, the recent mini boomlet in other exchanges raising a lot of money in the crypto world continue, frankly. I, I, why wouldn't it if I was a VC, you know? You know, one of the big challenges is crypto is still in this world, right? You can't really go through your Charles Schwab account. Maybe there's some ETFs you can invest in or whatever the case may be. This is where a massive asset class is, you know, exclusively traded. And I, I don't know... You know, that's one of the big darker clouds this is why the platform becomes so important. But, um, you know, can they maintain kind of, quote unquote, monopoly, using that term loosely, uh, a huge share of the market going forward if traditional asset managers and brokers start to add, you know, a wide number of tokens onto the platform? Well, it's not just that Falcon X and FTX and, and other companies like Robinhood and, and, you know, PayPal and Venmo and so forth are adding kind of exposure options to the crypto world because Coinbase doesn't want to compete on fees. And they talked about this in the earnings call. You would kind of imagine that as more, you know, companies offer the ability to get exposure to crypto, that, you know, fees would compress, go down, decline because there's competition. So you think people would get more competitive on price. Coinbase is like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to offer a bunch of services and people are going to pay us for them via fees. And it's kind of a bold bet. I, I don't know if it's going to work long term, but I certainly like it from a thesis perspective. And so, you know, sure, Falcon X just raised $210 million at a $3.75 billion valuation. And sure, FTX just raised $900 million at an $18 billion valuation. Uh, but Coinbase is like, we're better. And that's going to how we're going to defend our margins long term, which I think is, is uh, I don't know, bold maybe is, is the right word for it. But um, <laughs> can we talk about Robinhood? We can, but I want to do one more thing because oh, um, I, I, I don't I don't know if it actually was reported broadly. So we, we found out a couple months ago that Coinbase was buy, buying Bison Trails, which I believe is actually going to become their AWS kind of platform. So this this Coinbase cloud is sort of Bison Trails. So if you look at what the um, purchase price was, they actually gave it in the in the docs. I don't know if this was reported earlier. Four hundred fifty seven million. That was three hundred eighty nine million in, in stock, uh, <laughs> twenty eight million in cash and twenty eight million for replacement of, of Bison Trails options. I have no idea what that is. About 460 million in change altogether. So a pretty medium-sized outcome. I, I guess I expected a little bit more when I first heard this going in, but we now have a, a price point. I, I mean, honestly, thinking about what Coinbase is worth and what that purchase price works out to as like a percentage of its market cap, thinking about kind of the, that size of the company, that's free, essentially, to maybe build a plaid for crypto. Gosh darn. I mean, $500 million is what they used to raise in like a weekend. That's right. And and finally, they did one other acquisition that they didn't report the name for $35.2 million. So uh, maybe do some math and try to figure out on LinkedIn who joined. Who joined Coinbase. Uh, if that's you, please raise your hand. Flash your, flash your mic. <laughs> if you sold for $35.2 million, we want to know exactly. who you are. Uh, Coinbase buys a lot of stuff and they have a liquid stock now. So we expect more acquisitions as they kind of add talent and so forth as they go. Now, Danny, Robinhood, my favorite company in the world. I did a little digging about Robinhood's crypto business, and I have some stats for you. So we know that Robinhood makes most of its money from payment for order flow, or PFOF, I believe the cool kids say. Uh, what is slightly lesser known is that when they do crypto trades, they get what are called transaction rebates, which 
Robinhood kind of describes as like PFOF for crypto, essentially. 81% of Robinhood revenue came from this aggregate bucket of kind of rebates from both equities, options, and crypto in the first quarter. So this is a very important thing. But I went spelunking deep into the last Robinhood S1A filing, and I discovered that in the first quarter, the most recent data that we have, crypto trades at Robinhood generated $87.6 million in revenue out of about $420 million in total transaction revenue, so 17%, whatever. What's cool is the crypto revenue in Q1 was up nearly 2,000% on a year-over-year basis. And so when we think about the growth of Robinhood and the growth of Coinbase, we tend to kind of put them in separate buckets, like, okay, crypto, Coinbase, equities and options, Robinhood. But in, in reality, Robinhood really did generate a pretty big chunk of its Q1 from crypto. And, you know, kind of looking at Coinbase, I'm expecting Q2 to be kind of the same. I mean, it's going to be good. And so I think there's maybe more domestic competition for the Coinbase crown than people might think at first blush. I mean, that's one of the things that really shocked me. I mean, when you think about the fact that Coinbase did net revenue in, in this last quarter of, of over $2 billion, and, and to compare that to the Robinhood numbers, and realizing, that, of course, $87 million isn't just all of the money that they're making, but the order flow model as a way to subsidize the business to build a, an actual sustainable, strong, profitable company. I got to be honest, I'm getting a little skeptical. Like, it, it, you know, like I would just rather make fees. Like, you know, it's kind of funny how like Coinbase is just like, we're just going to charge you for it and people pay that and people are fine with it, partly because it's easy and there's the alternatives aren't great. Obviously, Robinhood is in a much more competitive market with stock trading. But, you know, free stock trading isn't making a lot of money over there. Well, OK, let's let's not you know, skis, getting ahead of them and so forth. I, you know, Robinhood's going to do, I think it's north of 500 million in revenue in Q2, according to their projections for the period. So it's a multi-billion dollar run rate. But yes, you are right. Uh, that's most- It's a quarter. I mean, look, let's be clear. It's a quarter and they do everything. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be obnoxious, but I, I, I do think, you know, these companies in many ways are two sides of the same coin, right? One was traditional stocks and was trying to lower fees, disrupt, you know, and democratize sort yeah. of the stock trading world. One was focused on crypto. It's amazing to me that one, you know, the disruptive new coin that was doing an asset class that no one had done is now doing a $2 billion quarter. And the other is like 500 million bucks, hopefully next quarter, assuming things go well. And like, and who's making all the cash? Well, it's not Robinhood. It's, it's Coinbase. There, there is an irony there. I, I'm not unsympathetic to your point, Danny. I think the proof's going to be in the Q3 pudding, frankly. I think both of these companies are warning that, you know, trading volumes are down compared to Q1, Q2, which were incredibly heated periods. Uh, of trading of assets of all types. And so I, I'm very curious to see who does best in the upcoming revenue gully or, you know, downturn, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to call it like a recession. It's not, but it, it's going to be a dip maybe. And it sounds like you're much more bullish on Coinbase than, uh, than Robinhood, which is fine. We don't own stock in either one, but it will be fun to see if the old model with the new asset or the new model with the old asset ends up winning out. Place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. You can even use Robinhood to buy the stocks if you want. <laughs> Welcome to well, the casino. I will, I will say, I, I do think the predictions around Q3 are, are weird. I guess it's an assumption around vacation. I, I actually don't know why the assumption is that the volumes will go down. But look, Coinbase makes money if it goes up, goes down. Uh, ironically, Robinhood, the more that the markets become frenetic and crazy, actually presumably makes more money because it becomes more valuable to buy payment order flow in times when the markets are choppy. Then, I mean, I'm making an assumption here. I, I don't literally know down to the penny, we don't get these disclosures. But I would assume that knowing how people are going to trade in much more choppier waters is more valuable to hedge funds like. And, and so maybe actually, as the markets hit choppiness, maybe they actually do better. Maybe they actually make more money. Maybe they start to compete better with 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 Coinbase. But I, I do think that Coinbase 
has created a reliable model that no matter how it goes, yeah. things go up. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to make their, their cost structure is so low compared to their recent revenue that even if things drop by 50%, they're fine. Uh, Danny, can I tell you a story about Citadel Securities and Robinhood and payment for order flow? Well, we have a second. You may. Okay. Thank you. Um, so when, gosh, I think it was the, the second or third uh, Robinhood S1 filing dropped, one of the amended versions, we were digging through and looking at their kind of revenue partners and from where was all this PFOF revenue coming from, this payment for order flow. And a big chunk of it comes from Citadel Securities, which I mistakenly called Citadel in the post. And then I also said that Robinhood was bone grafted onto Citadel. And there were two complaints with this. One was that I didn't say Citadel Securities, which I corrected. Happy to, to clarify. And the other complaint was that they are not bone grafted to Citadel Securities, which was false. So I, I stood my ground on that one and stopped answering the emails <laughs> because they make so much of their money from Citadel. If Citadel went away, it would be a mess. And so I, I thought that stood up. Uh, and that's a little behind the scenes of what happens when you have fun with language when doing journalism. It blows up in your face. And that's why Reuters Reads like Reuters. Uh, then shall we <laughs> shall we have some friends join us or shall we wrap? It's up to you. Sure. We can uh, have a friend or two join. I'm going to switch microphones from our official microphones to the unofficial tape microphones so that I can actually hear people join. But if you're interested in requesting, please click the button and uh, we'll try to get some folks up here in the next 20 seconds. Ezra, welcome back to... Uh, God, you're, you get on every single one of these Twitter spaces. You're on last night. You're on tonight. We love you, man. I mean, I try. I try. I think it's interesting. I, I'm actually really digging this whole format. I think the conversations are are good. And I just, it's kind of got some of that clubhouse feel, but like, I actually know a lot of who these people are, um, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is nice. Um, I, I feel that. So I, I think the one thing I was curious to hear about is Cardano. It seems like it's getting ready to make a little bit of a break for it, challenge Ethereum, really dive into the DeFi space. Just kind of curious overall thoughts on it. So I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of the differences in smart contracts between Ethereum and Cardano because I'm going to sound stupid, Ezra. Uh, fair, but my, fair. my first impression about this is long time coming because Cardano has been kind of a top five, top seven crypto asset for, I, I want to say years now. And I've never really understood what it was for. Because no one that I talked to was really building on it. And, you know, when I think about kind of up and coming chains, I'm thinking more Solana, Uniswap than I am Cardano. But I learned that if you diss Cardano on Twitter, you get many responses from people who disagree with you. And so I have been loosely Very tracking true. this. I, I, I guess I'm curious to see if the developer community will show up and really begin to build on this. So I would say cautiously optimistic at this at this stage in time, and no more skeptical than anyone else. But I'm just curious to see what's actually built using these smart contracts. That to me is is more interesting than the tech itself because you know tech is just tech unless someone uses it. But I mean, just for everyone's data point, what Ezra's referring to is this idea of smart contracts coming to Cardano has led to a massive price increase in the last 24 hours, just under 12% up, just under 32% in the last week. So now a Cardano token will cost you a buck 83 compared to um, far less than that very, very recently. <laughs> so, but Ezra, tell us, why, why do you care about Cardano? Well, I, I mean, this is, this is a space that I've been following kind of since the Elon Musk tweet that really brought new attention to the, uh, the climate impacts, the energy use impacts of proof of work versus proof of stake. And I think at that point, Cardano really exploded under my radar as somebody who, or as a, as a coin that was already kind of embracing the proof of stake model and i think i don't know it's to me it's just like there there seems to be several things happening in both the you know the defi dap space 
as yep. well as the proof of stake, I guess it's switchover that we're watching in Ethereum. It just seems like there's a lot more recognition of some of the substance and, and what's actually going on with some of these coins rather than just, you know, a lot of attention to the speculation that we've seen as Bitcoin really has driven some of the narrative, I think, over the past year. Well, I, I think that's what's interesting, right? So Bitcoin is basically a currency. I mean, it's like trading USD. You can do that. You can make a lot of money. What gets interesting when you go over to Ethereum, it's like traditional stock investing. Companies change strategies. Companies change products. They pivot. You know, obviously, Ethereum's going through a very interesting time. Cardano is also showing up. They're also doing very interesting stuff in the smart contract space. But this is a space that that's changing really, really rapidly, which means, you know, it's almost like three-dimensional chess. First, you have to understand, you know, just the, the adoption and the popularity of these tokens. Then you need to see the strategies and where they're going. Then you have to look at the execution on, are they actually able to perform? Are they, you know, Ethereum with staking obviously has been a long road. I, I think we're still years away from understanding exactly where the full directory of these companies are going. Yeah. Or tokens, I should it, say. Yeah. One more thing about Ezra's point is that if you look at the market cap charts for the top 20 coins, just go to CoinMarketCap, take a scan. There's a lot of zombie stuff in there. Like Litecoin is still worth $11.6 billion. Yeah. You know, and uh, here, just to pick another one because I'm mean, Bitcoin Cash, something you haven't heard about since like 2017, is somehow worth $11.8 billion. And so I'm curious what portion of the Cardano net market cap is, is momentum versus real developer potential. And, you know, smarter people than me will have to answer that with what they build. But yeah, I, I'm fascinated, Ezra, to see what happens next. Thank you for tuning in to Equity, my dear friends. We have a little bit of post-show news for you in the form of a discount code. Hell yeah, coupons for the digital world. Disrupt is around the corner. And if you sign up for a ticket using the code Equity, you will save 50%, which is quite a lot. I'm actually pretty proud of that. And uh, you will get to see some Equity friends, including Nico Bonazzos, Pete Buttigieg, Alexis Gay, and Phil Leibin. Uh, Pete hasn't come on the show yet, but he will, so he counts. Anyway, it's going to be an absolute blast. I, Alex, am hosting the Extra Crunch stage uh, throughout the whole event. So please come hang out, uh, and I'll see you online. All right, bye.